Evidence and Answers. Is one man's terrorist another man's freedom fighter? Is there a difference between a just use of force and acts of terrorism? Should Christians be involved in the use of force? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a popular author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will present the biblical guidelines for the use of force as he explains the difference between terrorism and just war. Here's Pat now. With the events of 9-11 and the battle in the Middle East, the issue of war and terrorism are constantly in the news. And many are confused between a just war and acts of terrorism. The phrase, one man's terrorist is another man's hero, is a common phrase illustrating the confusion that many have. Now, when it comes to the Christian position on the use of force, there have been three positions held by Christians. Activism, pacifism, and selectivism. Now, let's take a look at all three and see which one has the strongest biblical case in support of its arguments. The first one is activism. And activism states that the Christian is duty-bound to obey his government and participate in every war. Now, the biblical argument is this. God has ordained government, and to rebel against government is equivalent to rebel against God. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 9, God ordained government and that it is the role of government to execute justice and the use of force. In Genesis 14, Abraham is commanded by God in the exercise of the use of force and the sword. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, it states, The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, Jesus stated, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so many in the activist camp believe that Christians are compelled to obey government. John 19, 11, Jesus said to Pilate, You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So governments are ordained and put in place by God and therefore we should obey them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority. And so activists take that. Therefore, we are to submit to government and to obey the government, even in times of war. And Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 says that the government has been given the power of the sword. So it is the government who's been given the authority to take life. That's the position known as activism. Pacifism is the second position, and pacifism teaches that it's always wrong for a Christian to participate in war or acts of violence. Now, the biblical arguments for this position go like this. That only God has the authority to take life. Key verses are Exodus 20, verse 13, where God says, You shall not kill. And Matthew 5, 39, where Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So we are not to resist and retaliate with force. Killing is always 
wrong. Jesus said to turn the other cheek. In verse 44 of chapter 5, Jesus said to love your enemies. And killing is rooted in hate. And the Old Testament commands also teach against murder. Resisting evil with force then is considered wrong. Evil should not be met with force, but with the spiritual force of love, as Jesus said to turn the other cheek. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, let God avenge. Therefore, the use of force according to the pacifist position would always be wrong. And there's also social arguments that are used in support of pacifism. Some of the arguments are that wars are based on evil and greed. And war results in many evils, exploitation, rape, cruelty, and other acts of barbarism always accompany wars. And finally, that war breeds war. Wars do not bring about peace, but resentment from the conquered. And war leads to a spirit of retaliation and eventually other wars. Now that's the position of pacifism. The third position is known as selectivism. Selectivism teaches that one should only participate in a, quote, just war. And the argument goes like this. Government is to be obeyed, but not always as activism teaches. Although government is ordained by God, not all of its decisions are. And in fact, in the Bible, the saints are commended when they obey God and disobey the government when the government orders things contrary to the word of God. For example, in Exodus 1.17, the Pharaoh ordered the midwives, if the Hebrews bore a boy, they would throw the boy into the Nile River. Well, they would not, and God blessed the Egyptian midwives. Daniel chapter 3 where his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to the statue of gold. And as a result, God blessed them. They were thrown into the fiery pit and they were delivered from the fire. And so there are times that the saints of God have disobeyed the government when the government was ordering things contrary to God's commands and they were blessed because of that. But the Bible teaches that not all wars are evil as pacifism teaches. Not all the taking of life is murder. God ordained the use of force on several occasions. Genesis 9 verse 6, he gave government the authority to take life. In Genesis 21, God orders that there are times the just penalty is taking of a life. For example, in chapter 21, verse 22, states, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So if the woman or the child is killed, it's a capital crime and capital punishment is ordained. Romans 13 verse 4, it says that the government does have the authority to use the sword. In other words, to take life. 
Several times in the Old Testament, God commands Israel to go to war. In Joshua 6, God commanded Israel to capture the city of Jericho and to wipe out that civilization. In Joshua chapter 10, there is an alliance that comes up against Joshua and God orders Joshua to defeat those nations. And in fact, in that famous story, God held the sun still so that Joshua and his men would have daylight and enough time to wipe out those particular armies. In 1 Samuel 23, God often used Israel as an instrument of judgment upon wicked nations. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, God commands David to go to war against the Philistines and rescue the city of Calah. In verse 2, when David inquires of the Lord, it says, And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. In Psalm 44, the psalmist celebrates the victorious defeat of their enemies by the hand of God. It says, O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but then you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Celebrates God's victory over these nations. In Luke chapter 3, as John the Baptist is preaching, Roman soldiers ask John, what should we do then? And John the Baptist calls them to repent, but does not tell the soldiers to leave the army or their military service. Instead, John commands them not to use their military power to exploit the people. You know, these are very difficult passages for pacifists to explain. Now, pacifists often argue, and they say that commands to kill by God were only concessions by God in response to human sinfulness. But when you look at these commands, when God commanded Israel to destroy the Canaanites, there's not any indication that it was a concession, but a command. Read those passages in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16 and 17, and Joshua 10, 40. God ordained war as an instrument of his judgment. In this theocratic government where God is the rule, he often used Israel as the instrument of his judgment upon these wicked nations. Now, pacifists argue that all taking of life is murder. Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not kill. Now, the passage literally reads in the Hebrew that you shall not murder. Killing in self-defense is not murder. Exodus 22, verse 2 states, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. So killing in self-defense, then, is not murder according to the Old Testament law. War in defense against an unjust aggressor is not murder. In Genesis chapter 14, there was a coalition of five kings coming against Abraham. And it's Abraham who was ordered by God in self-defense against these particular attacking nations to defend himself and to defeat them. Another argument is that evil should not be resisted with force, but with spiritual love. 
in Matthew chapter 5, that famous command where Jesus said to turn the other cheek. Well, in the context, Jesus was not saying do not use force in self-defense or in executing justice here. He says, if a man slaps you on the right cheek, well, then give him the other one as well. Now, the slap here refers to an insult, not an injury. The Greek word here is rapizo, which means to strike with an open hand or a slap on the cheek. If I come up to you and I slap you on the right cheek with an open hand, what am I doing? I'm giving you an insult. That's an insult. All right. And Jesus is saying, if you are slapped on the right cheek, that's an open-handed slap. Okay, That's an insult. If you are insulted because you are a Christian, then turn the other cheek. All right. Now that's different from a man coming after you with a knife or coming after your wife and kids with a knife. Jesus doesn't say, well, in that case, just turn the other cheek. All right, let him go after your wife and kids. No, when Jesus says you're slapped and you're being insulted for the sake of Christ, okay, well, don't resist. That is different than when it comes to self-defense if you're being physically attacked or your family or loved ones are being attacked. Then the most loving thing to do would be to protect and if necessary, to use force to protect someone that's aggressively attacking and seeking your injury and seeking to harm you. So I believe the best biblical case is for the position of selectivism over activism and passivism. I think the strongest case can be made for selectivism. There are times when God ordains the use of force. For example, the passage I just read, Exodus 22 verse 2, Killing in self-defense is indeed approved. Killing for just punishment is one of the roles of government, according to Romans 13 and Genesis 9, verse 6. In Genesis 14, God ordained Abraham to attack his enemies and blessed his effort. John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, verse 14, did not ask the soldiers to resign from their positions. In a fallen world, there exist forces of evil, and often it is necessary to use force to repel or to restrain evil and to execute justice. It is evil not to resist evil, to permit an evil like murder or rape or genocide or what we're seeing in the Middle East, the genocide of Christians and those of a differing race or religion, when one could have prevented it, that is indeed evil. And if you look at the beliefs of these groups out here like ISIS and Joseph Kony down there in Uganda and the Congo, these are forces of evil. And you're not going to sit there and peacefully negotiate with these guys. These guys are bent on the destruction of those who will not join them. And forces like these, raping women, exploiting children, murdering thousands of people, you cannot peacefully negotiate with these guys and hope that they will stop. You need to use force. And if you can't bring them to justice, you must bring justice to them. When there's evil forces like this upon the earth, to turn the other cheek only emboldens their efforts. You need to use force to stop forces of evil such as this. 
You know, I've been to several of these countries, and a lot of people don't understand that there is such thing as evil and forces of evil that exist. And you're not going to peacefully negotiate or accommodate these guys. That's just going to embolden them for more. They're bent on the destruction of those who do not align themselves with them or bow down to their particular God or particular law. And they are going to use force. And so the just and right and most loving thing to do is in a self-defensive measure to stop and restrain these forces of evil with the use of force. So those are the three positions that Christians have held, activism, passivism, and selectivism. And I think the strongest biblical case is for selectivism here. Now, having said that, let's take a look at what are the basic principles of a just war. When is it right for a government to declare war? Well, here are some basic principles. Number one, a war in defense of the innocent is just. In Genesis 14, the kings of the valley invaded Abraham and his family. They were the first aggressors. Abraham's attack was in defense then of his family and the innocent. However, the victorious country or nation does not have the right to occupy the land they conquer permanently. The moral duty is to restore the country's independence once the enemy is defeated and subdued. Second, wars fought to execute justice are just. Justice demands punishment that fits the crime. Nations engaged in criminal activity against another country are subject to attack. For example, what we're seeing in the Middle East, this group ISIS, the mass raping of women and children and the mass murder of thousands of men, women and children throughout the nations of Iraq and Syria there, this kind of criminal activity calls upon a just nation to bring just punishment for what is the criminal activity that is going on out there. Group like ISIS engaged in this kind of criminal activity are subject to attack. Third, just war must be fought by governments. Romans 13, God gave the power of the sword to governments, not to individuals or particular groups. War must be declared by a country upon another country in order for it to be just. Fourth, a just war must be fought justly. Targets should be military combatants, not civilians or women or children. In the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, God gives guidelines for combat to the Israelites. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, God commands the Israelites not to use trees that have fruit for military purposes so that after the war is over, there'd be a supply of food for the people. Israel was not to destroy the land's capacity to sustain its people after the battle was over. Here's a great guideline by the great Saint Augustine. It's known as Augustine's Just War Doctrine. It was developed and formalized by the great theologian and Christian philosopher Augustine in the 4th century AD. And here are his guidelines. First, there must be a just cause. A just cause would be to protect one's homeland. Only defensive wars are legitimate. Second, just intention. 
War must be to secure peace, never revenge, conquest of a foreign land, or economic gain. Third, war must be a last resort when all other means have failed. Negotiations, embargoes, all means have failed. War is the last resort. Fourth, there must be a formal declaration. Since use of military force is the right of government and not of private individuals, a state of war must be declared by the highest authorities from one government to another. Fifth, there must be limited objectives. The objective should not be to just continue to wipe out everyone in that country, but enough use of force for victory. Six, there must be only a use of force that is proportionate to attain victory. And seventh, civilian casualty must be avoided. Our primary targets should be military targets and military combatants and limit civilian casualty as much as possible. Now, those are the principles of just war or guidelines, good guidelines in the use of force. Now, when it comes to terrorism, you just take these just war principles and you turn them completely upside down. Terrorism defined as this it's the use of fear and violence against innocent citizens in an attempt to influence public opinion and policies. In other words, terrorists usually do harm to non combatants in an effort to create societal fear. So, as I stated, when it comes to terrorism, you take the principles of just war and you turn it just completely upside down. Terrorists are not fighting a moral battle, nor are they using just means to accomplish their goals. Let's compare just war and terrorism. The purpose of a just war is to protect, whereas in terrorism, it's to strike terror and fear into a particular nation or people. The goal is to secure peace. In terrorism, it's to cause fear. The just war, the use of force is the last resort after all else fails. Versus terrorism, where the mentality there is to strike first, cause casualties, then make your demands. In a just war, there's a formal declaration and a warning given to the people from one government to the other. In terrorism, no formal warning is given. Surprise is the key element. And therefore, you have surprise bombings and attacks of terror when it comes to these kinds of groups. In a just war, there are limited objectives. Whereas in terrorism, the largest amount of casualties is the objective. Create havoc and the largest amount of casualties possible is the strategy in terrorism. Just war says use only appropriate force enough to gain victory. Whereas in terrorism, it says use the largest amount and create the greatest amount of damage possible. And in a just war, civilian casualties is to be avoided. Whereas in terrorism, civilians are indeed the target. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world in which the forces of evil exist. And as Christ stated in Matthew chapter 24, wars and conflicts will increase until he returns. In fact, we will not be in a state of peace until the king comes 
and defeats evil and establishes his kingdom here upon the earth. So until then, we are going to have to fight the forces of evil intellectually with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But often, when we're combating forces of evil, force is necessary to restrain and defeat evil. For more information on this topic and others, go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org. You can listen to some great interviews and read some great articles on this topic and others. Evidence and Answers, where we provide you evidence for faith, but also answers to some of the tough challenges you face today from a biblical and Christian worldview perspective. It's a great resource for you. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to being with you again here on Evidence and Answers. I hope this brought clarity and a biblical perspective on the issue of terrorism and just war. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the entire study and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetics Center. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat continues to present evidence for faith in Christ and answers to the challenges of today right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.